This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Guys, that is Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you heard me read that yesterday, but guys, that's so nice. I had to read it twice. Again, yesterday we dealt with all of the debt forgiveness stuff that the Biden administration is doing, but we didn't have time to get to the quick hitters. So that's what we're going to do today. But before we get to that, just wanted to remind you guys that we have a nice resource for you on our website. It is the 100 books every modern Christian man should read list. So you guys can go and check that out. So it's going to have a bunch of different categories. There's marriage, there's business, there's leadership, there's literature, there's a C.S. Lewis. He gets his own category, but guys, you should be reading. That is a great way to develop your mental resilience. So go to undaunted.life backslash booklist. I will try to remember to put that in the show notes, but it's undaunted.life backslash booklist. Again, we are a donation-driven ministry. So those of you guys that want to see more content, like what you're seeing now, and like what we're going to be doing next year in 2023, which I can't wait to tell you about. We need donors. We need guys hopping on board because everything we're doing costs money. So we're not you know uh, shy about asking for that. So go to undaunted daunted.life backslash donate so you can hop on board and become a monthly donor. And again, I'm going to keep reminding you, Sunday, September the 18th at 6 p.m., I'm doing a free presentation of defeating pro-abortion arguments. That will be at Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. Again, Sunday, September the 18th at 6 p.m. Central Time. Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, defeating pro-abortion arguments. There's a sign-up link in the show notes if you're going to come and bring your children. We want to make sure we have enough volunteers for child care. And again, want to make sure I mention this again, originmain.com. Guys, if you are buying geese, jeans, boots, and then on the Jocko side, you've got the protein and you've got the supplements and you got the energy drinks. You got tons of stuff and guys, you can get it at a discount. Some of the best stuff all made in America. It is going to be at originmain.com. Use the promo code Kyle to get 10% off of your order. That will be in the show notes as well. But now on this episode, it's going to be a shorter episode than what we're, you're probably used to, but it's basically all quick hitters and I'm only going to hit four of them because I want to save some for next week. We're going to discuss Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook telling Joe Rogan that the FBI instructed him to throttle the Hunter Biden laptop bombshell prior to the 2020 election. A woke pastor in Australia saying churches should, quote, create space for gender inclusive bathrooms, unquote. The greatest doctor in the history of medicine. I'm, of course, talking about Dr. Fauci announcing he's retiring at the end of the year. Oh my gosh, where are the tissues? And a K through 12 school district in my own backyard hiring a pro CRT, that's critical race theory, DEI firm, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion, to train its teachers. So, 
Tons of stuff to get to. I'm not going to hold it from you any longer. So let's dig into it. The first one here, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook telling Joe Rogan that the FBI instructed him to throttle the Hunter Biden laptop bombshell prior to the 2020 election. Enormous, enormous story, even though it's going to disappear like a fart in the wind by the end of the week. But this is according to the New York Post. This is from last week. Mark Zuckerberg finally admitted on Thursday, last Thursday, that Facebook dropped the ball when the company banned the sharing of the Post exclusive report on Hunter Biden's laptop ahead of the 2020 election. The billionaire CEO of Meta said he regretted Facebook's handling of the bombshell story during the appearance on the Joe Rogan experience, but he still defended the process as pretty reasonable. Zuckerberg opened up with a controversial media suppression after the host pressed him to explain his views on how tech platforms should handle content moderation on sensitive subjects. Okay, so I'm going to save you from having to listen to the entire three-hour episode. Uh, in all honesty, I've not listened to that entire episode as of right now. Uh, for the most part, most people are saying that was like basically the best part of all the things that you could hear. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is not the world's most interesting person, so maybe you want to listen to three hours of him talking. Maybe you don't. But here's the clip that everybody's talking about, and this is where it shows Zuckerberg more so attempting to explain exactly what Facebook did. So let's get into the clip here. How do you guys handle things when they're a, a big news item that's controversial? Like there was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New yeah, York we Post. Had that too. Yeah, so you guys censored that as well? So we took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically the background here is the FBI, I think basically came to us, some, some folks on our team, and was like, hey, um, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the, we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. So our protocol is different from Twitter's. What Twitter did is they said you can't share this at all. Um, we didn't do that. What, what we do is we have. Um, if something is reported to us as potentially um, misinformation, important misinformation, we we also have this third-party fact-checking program because we don't want to be deciding what's true and false. And for the, I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being um, being determined whether it was false, um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it, you could still consume it, so when um, you say the distribution has decreased, in, it, it got shared. It, how does that work? It basically the ranking in newsfeed was a little bit less, so fewer people saw it than would have otherwise. So it definitely by what percentage? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's 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 meaningful. But I mean, but basically, a um, a lot of people were still able to share it. We got a lot of complaints that that was the case. Um, you know, obviously this is a hyper-political issues. So depending on what side of the political spectrum, you either think we didn't censor it enough or censored it way too much. But right. but we weren't sort of as black and white about it as, as Twitter. We just kind of thought, hey, look, if, if the FBI, which you know, I still view as a legitimate institution in this country, it's a like very professional law enforcement, they come to us and tell us that we need to be on guard about something, then I want to take that seriously. Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story? I, I no, I, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was it basically fit the pattern. So you shouldn't be terribly impressed with his performance there because it really wasn't that great. It really wasn't an awesome performance by him. Um, to be honest, it was just kind of one of those things where it's like you're you're just shocked 
that somebody is communicating in the way that he's communicating. It was kind of this mealy mouth approach to everything. Some of the times he was acting like it was real specific, his answer. Other times it was not very specific. But there's some interesting things from this clip. The first thing that I really thought through whenever I was looking at this, you know, two ish minute clip is that the FBI came to Facebook prior to the 2020 election day to grease the wheels. Because in order for Facebook or any of these companies to stand up and say, hey, you know, this is why we throttled this thing, which could have decided the 2020 election, um, it's because the FBI told us. And so basically they did all these companies that didn't want Donald Trump to win. They wanted president or they wanted, you know, Joe Biden to be elected president and then eventually co-president because of those things. They needed some sort of substantiation aside from their own environment, their own ecosystem that they've created. And the FBI certainly provided that to them, which. You know, if true, the FBI, if you believe that the FBI is this neutral arbiter of, you know, information, if they're this neutral uh, purveyor of the law in a federal sense, then you should be okay with that. But as we've seen lately, as we've seen even in the last 30 days, we don't know that the FBI can be trusted as this neutral entity that doesn't have political interests. So that should be somewhat concerning, right? And by somewhat, I obviously mean a lot more than that. I was downplaying it a little bit. But another interesting thing from the clip is that it mentions, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg mentions third party fact checkers. Ah, We have a third party fact checking firm as if that means anything. Because whenever you dig into these quote unquote fact checking firms, you realize that a lot of these people tend to think the same way. It's not a whole bunch of people with a bunch of different ways of viewing the world, looking at the ins and outs and the data and breaking down exactly whether this means that or that means this. A lot of these entities, as is going to be a shock to no one in this audience, significantly leans to the left. And so when they're like these fact checking firms, they say that as if that ends the argument, as if you're supposed to turn your brain off and be like, oh, well, it's a third party fact checking firm. So I may not trust Facebook, but I certainly believe the entity that they're paying to do their bidding, right? And so again, he just kind of throws that in there. And most people, most dumb people are just going to be like, yeah, makes perfect sense. But we should, we should want to fact check the fact checkers because again, every single one of these companies and all the individuals in these companies have bias. So you're always going to get that. It's that a lot of these firms are not open about that. They're actually pretending like CNN did for years, pretending like they were, you know, moderate, that they were in the middle, that, you know, Fox News was far right and, you know, MSNBC was far left and we're, we're right in the middle, just the facts with us. It's like, you know, okay, that's not the case. We've certainly seen that play out since, you know, the C word happened in 2020. Another interesting thing from this clip is Mark Zuckerberg admitted to throttling this story before his supposed fact-checking firm had determined anything was true or false yet. So he admitted to, to throttling the story. But you, you have to ask, why throttle it at that point? If your fact-checking agency, which you're paying probably millions of dollars, and you have them on retainer, if they can't get you an answer quickly as to whether or not these things are true, why would you do anything at that point? Because if it's false, then you still let people share it. Right. If it ends up being false, you let people share it. That's a bad thing. But if it if it's found out to be true, the allegations are true. The reporting is true. Then you kept people from sharing it or seeing it at all. So it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't catch 22 situation. But when you try to play both sides or pretend like you were doing this moderate approach to it, it's not that at all. 
And I do also like that he, he kind of slipped in there that the FBI is a very professional law enforcement. Like, obviously, he's a big fan of the FBI. But again, for most Americans, especially Americans, I think the way that I do, I'm kind of looking at the FBI askant a little bit. And I know that there are a lot of great patriotic Americans that work for the Federal Bureau of Investigation here in the United States. But as an entity, as a bureaucracy, it seems like they're doing the bidding of a particular political party at this point. I mean, we'll see how it goes into the future, but I'm definitely not seeing anything that would sway my opinion right now. But the key interaction of the clip was at the very, very end of that little two minute, 20 second deal or whatever. So Joe says this, he says, did they specifically say you needed to be on guard about that story? So that story is the Hunter Biden laptop story. And this was Zuckerberg's response. No, uh, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it basically fit the pattern. So. It was no, and then immediately a quarter of a second later, it was, I don't remember. So typically when you watch negotiations, when you watch interactions, when you watch, uh, you know, lawyers that are, you know, addressing people on the stand or different things like that, a lot of times people will give their knee-jerk answer immediately. They will immediately realize they shouldn't have done that, and then they'll give you the canned answer that their lawyer said that they needed to say once they got on the stand, okay? So again, his quote, this is a quote, direct quote, no. I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it basically fit the pattern. So it was no, and then it was, I don't remember. Okay. So hard to know exactly what to get, uh, from, from this little interaction, but the overall thing, and I guess the big takeaway here for me on this particular story is that the federal government in the United States is not your friend. Okay. And neither are the bureaucracies therein. Because there was a time in this country where it seemed like you could blindly say that you trusted these organizations, you trusted these people, that they had your best interests at heart, they had your safety at heart. But I think these last few years have done a lot for conspiracy theorists uh, in a good way and done a lot for you know how we view these federal bureaucracies in a bad way. Because we've seen them act out poorly. We've seen them blatantly lie to us. We've seen them lie to us so that they could control us, control narratives and they had their tendrils spread out into all these other different areas to try to influence you and you know corrupt what you were thinking to bend you in a particular direction and so that certainly is the case with what we're seeing here so I've, to be honest i was stunned that mark zuckerberg even went on that show because he had to have known the questioning on that was coming um i really hope and again i haven't listened to the whole episode yet i hope uh, that joe rogan really kept hitting him on this because that's the biggest story of the 2020 election aside from the fact that joe biden supposedly won it it was that in the weeks leading up to that there were independents that were still trying to figure out who they were going to vote for and ha there were tons of them that admitted if they had known about the Hunter Biden laptop story, they would have either chosen not to vote or vote for Donald Trump. And there were enough people that it could have swayed the elections in key swing states that ended up all going for Joe Biden. So it's not a nothing burger, but we'll see how it goes into the future. All right. Next story here. Next quick hitter. A woke pastor in Australia saying churches should, quote, create space for gender inclusive bathrooms. Unquote. So there was a tweet from Roke, uh, Woke Preacher TV. So it's at Woke Preacher TV. I think the, the name is like Woke Preacher Clips or something like that. And this was on August the 22nd. So here's the caption of that from at Woke Preacher TV. Acts 29 Church in Australia says Christians, quote, must lean into the rights of those who identify as transgender, unquote, including, quote, creating space for gender inclusive bathrooms, unquote. So when I saw the caption, I was like, okay, so that doesn't sound good. 
Uh, I'm not going to be completely shocked. I don't know about Acts 29 Church in Australia. I don't know who this person is that I'm about to watch. But, you know, nothing would have really surprised me. I wouldn't surprise me if it seemed like it was clipped or taken out of context. And it wouldn't have surprised me if I saw a pastor going, you know, full woke, you know, woke cookies or whatever. So in the clip, it is Australian megachurch senior pastor. And it's a guy named Guy Mason from City on a Hill Church. So from what I could get from the City on a Hill website, it seems like it's a network of churches all in Australia that all have, you know, pastors of the individual churches, but he's kind of the senior pastor guy. So it's kind of the mega church model where you have the main guy and then they, they spread out all these other different churches around the area. Like they're spreading out, you know, Burger Kings or Taco Bells. And, you know, they just kind of pipe in this person's message and kind of do it like that's their style. That's the way that they want to do it. So apparently it's not just happening in America. It's also happening in Australia, but apparently the guy Mason guy is the senior cool guy and he's doing his best Carl Lentz impression in his headshot on the website. So that's kind of what I got from it. So I didn't know any of that before I watched the clip. I basically read the caption and went right to the clip. So I'm going to play that for you here. So let's go. Christians can and must lean into the rights of those who identify as transgender. The Christian philosopher uh, Edith Stein explains, whoever is near us and needing us must be our neighbor. The love of Christ knows no limits. It never ends. So if that means advocating for better health care and social support, if that means creating space for gender-inclusive bathrooms and policies that acknowledge a person's humanity and their inherent value, if that does mean thinking through complex questions around sport or the particular and unique struggles that the trans community face when it comes to health care and domestic violence and, and homelessness. And there was a lot more to it. So guys, I'm posting the, the link in the show notes so you can check it out because this guy didn't just post this initial clip. There were more clips. Obviously, you can kind of see that his uh, speech was trailing off there. So obviously, this wasn't just a short clip. One thing that I will say, just to be fair to this pastor, and you know, I'm not going to be too fair to him because I'm about to destroy him, but to be fair to him, he did have scriptures that he quoted from other parts because people are like, look, he doesn't even quote scripture there. He's quoting a philosopher. Yes, I realized he was quoting a philosopher, but that was just that part of it. So imagine someone clipping something that I said, and it's like, oh, well, he only referred to something Thomas Sowell said. He must be worshiping at the altar of Thomas Sowell. Like, that's not exactly fair. So I want to make sure I give you that context. But I don't typically do this, but I was so flabbergasted whenever I saw this. I immediately posted it on Instagram because I wanted to make sure that people saw it. And then I posted a lengthy, because typically I don't post very much in, in, you know, my caption or whatever, but I posted something lengthy in the caption and it still, you know, captures my thoughts at this point. So I'm just going to read what I posted whenever I posted the video. So I'm just going to read this directly off my Instagram here. Apparently you are unloving if you don't quote, lean into unquote, the supposed rights of people who have a mental disorder that should be treated with counseling and prayer as opposed to scalpels and chemical castration pills. I would like for at guy Mason to more fully explain what he means by quote, advocating for better health care and social support unquote for trans people. Does he mean that the taxpayers of Australia should pay for little girls to get phalloplasties? which is where they cut healthy flesh off of the girl's arm or thigh and then mold it into a penis-like phallus and then sew it onto the little girl's crotch? Would he want us to advocate for more little boys to be put on puberty blockers, which will open them up to a myriad of terrible physical and psychological health issues for the rest of their lives, most of which we aren't even aware of yet? Would he want us to march arm in arm as we demand that hospitals and doctors chop the healthy breast tissue off of female children as we simultaneously tell them, don't worry, even if you change your mind later, you can just get a boob job. 
This is the type of preaching and pastor that you get when you place the Bible and a Judeo-Christian ethic downstream of what the culture tells you is acceptable and loving. While this guy is busy trying to make leftists and LGBTQ plus advocates comfortable and happy, he is simultaneously confusing the flock, the same flock that he ought to give an account to God when he dies of how he shepherded them while they were under his care. So, didn't get a response from Guy Mason. I assume that I won't. If any of you guys know him, he has a free uh, free pass to come on this show. I would love to start the conversation with those quotes and see if we can build out because perhaps I missed something. But that's the one thing when people talk about nuance or, yeah, there's more to it or there's more context. It's funny when you start digging on a lot of those stories, it just deepens the scaffolding under which that person said whatever crazy thing they said to begin with. Okay, because in the other clips, I didn't see anything that was, you know, counter to what he's basically saying here. Okay, but here's my big takeaway on this story. You need to expect so-called pastors like this guy all over the globe to keep kowtowing to a society and culture that hates them. Because perhaps this guy, Mason guy is thinking to himself, okay, I just want to be as loving as possible. I want to love my neighbor. And then this is how he's deciding to love his neighbor. Okay, maybe that's the way that he thinks. But if I take some hints from his website, and perhaps I'm passing a little bit too much judgment, but if I take some hints from some of the things that they say on their website, from the way that he and some of his staff present themselves, and yes, I do mean physically uh, and stylistically, if I look at the overall content of some of the things that are said from that pulpit, I'm going to assume that this guy doesn't spend nearly as much time in the scripture as he does paying attention to what cultural cues are telling him to think and believe about particular people. Because he has a great opportunity from his pulpit and, you know, all these other minions and pastors underneath him to lean on the scripture and go to the scripture for how we should inform these situations that have to deal with real people. So start with that child or that adult that has gender dysphoria. They believe in their mind that they are the opposite gender, even though they couldn't effectively define what it means to be the opposite gender because they aren't that, right? But they honestly and fervently believe it. Because in those moments, you do have to ask, what is loving? So I need him to explain to me how cutting the breasts off of a teenage girl is loving. I need him to explain to me why puberty blockers in kids that are, you know, 10 years away from being able to legally buy a beer at the bar, that they should be able to utilize those things to quote unquote, assign them a different gender or transition them to a different gender. I need him to explain to me how that's loving. Again, I use these examples all the time, sometimes to make people uncomfortable, but there are people out there that are called furries. These are people that honestly believe that they are house pets, like a cat or a dog. So if you have someone that's a furry that's in your life and they come over to your house for dinner, ask yourself, is it loving to toss their food in a bowl and throw it on the floor? Would it be loving to pet them as they eat? Would it be loving to take them for a walk while they're on all fours after dinner? Would that be a loving thing to do? Or would a loving thing be to do, hey, uh, you were created by God in the image of God as a human being. You're not a dog. You need to stop this nonsense. Would that be more loving? Maybe harsh, maybe a little mean, but certainly more loving. There are people that are schizophrenic. Some people are paranoid schizophrenic. Just imagine if you were playing into these people's desires for you to come into their world, which is 
altered by some chemical imbalance or some injury that they've suffered to the brain. It's not loving to tell someone that thinks the refrigerator is giving them secrets about UFOs that, yeah, that's probably exactly what the refrigerator is doing. That's not a good thing for you to do. It's not loving. So again, open invitation to Guy Mason to come on this show. I would love to spar and talk about this a little bit. Perhaps I'm missing something. Maybe I'm going out over my skis. And, and if I do, I want to make sure I can dial it back a little bit. But again, guys, the culture hates us. The culture is supposed to hate us. We have a biblical guarantee that the culture will not, will not understand us as Christians and that they will end up hating us and that they will revile us to a point where they may actually begin to persecute us. And we should expect that. So why are you trying to go out of your way to basically tell the culture, no, we're not like those other bad people. We're not conservative Christians. We're cool just like you. Look at our cool clothes. Look at all the you know different things we say from stage, how we won't judge people and how it's okay to be this and it's okay to be that, how we never talk about sin, we never talk about judgment, we never talk about hell. Won't you be our friends? And the answer is always no. Because if you want people to become a Christian, you need to expect more of them, not less. You don't need to lower the barriers of entry as much as possible. You need to tell them and tell them that the expectations are so high that Jesus did all the hard work, but here are the standards. And we're not going to bend from that because we didn't figure out something new about language 2000 years later after Jesus walked this earth that somehow changes the things that he taught. We're not going to go down that road. So to any pastors listening to this, I pray to God, literally to God, that you would never look to culture for your cues on what you should say from the pulpit. All right, next quick hitter here. The greatest doctor in the history of medicine, and I am of course talking about Dr. Anthony Fauci. He announced that he is retiring at the end of this year. I know, I know guys, like it took me days before I recovered. Like I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I was absolutely destroyed by this. And I know you are too. So this is according to the Blaze Media. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and President Joe Biden's chief medical advisor is stepping down at the end of the year. While the news is not exactly surprising, Fauci previously indicated that he would stay on through Biden's presidency. Fauci, 81, announced Monday that he is not retiring per se, but leaving government service in pursuit of other career goals. While I am moving on from my current position, I am not retiring, Fauci said in a statement. After more than 50 years of government service, I plan to pursue the next phase of my career while I still have the energy and passion for the field, blah, blah, blah. So later on in the story, it says, Fauci's taxpayer-funded government pension will exceed $350,000 in annual payouts. Not once, but you are paying for Dr. Anthony Fauci's golden parachute, the part that we know about, $350,000 a year for his tremendous amount of service to the United States and to its populace. So there is a lot of speculation over the timing of this announcement because it does seem poised that Republicans will take over the House at the end of this year. Perhaps the Senate, uh, as each week goes on, it seems like the Senate is more and more likely going to stay with the Democrats, which is incredibly unfortunate, but it seems like it's a foregone conclusion that the House will go ahead and uh, take over, will be taken over by Republicans, and that they are going to try to do some investigations about the response to COVID, about the vaccines, about Dr. Fauci, about him lying to the public on purpose. You know, was he lying? Did he, did he mess it up or something like that? So that's the timing that they're thinking is like, why would he leave right before the Republicans take over the House? That's interesting timing, but also congressional investigations apparently are much easier to do with federal employees while they're still employed with the federal government as opposed to private citizens. So 
even certain federal employees, you have the lawyers that will play pretty pleased with the other people's lawyers and say, yeah, will you come and, you know, uh, testify and all those different things. So even if you get a subpoena from the house, there's still a negotiation between their lawyers and your lawyers as to whether or not you're going to do that, what concessions have to be made, who can be attend and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. So that's interesting because he wants to do this. He wants to leave the federal government as an employee right before the house can basically subpoena him. So we'll see how that goes. And also, I think the timing is interesting because he's not really relevant anymore. Like, remember, you couldn't look at a magazine cover. You couldn't look at a news station. You couldn't look at a, at a website without seeing his face or reading his name for literally two years. And now no one really cares about him anymore. I mean, I mean, sure, there's he's still got his fan club, which, you know, is basically like his wife, his you know three cousins and like two other people that live in Portland. But aside from that, there's not a whole lot we need from him at this point. I know he really struggled to stay relevant. You got to make sure you get the vaccine. You got to get the booster and you got to get like, yeah, I get it. But you know, most people at this point, they've probably gotten COVID. They realize it wasn't that big a deal. They got the vax, they got the booster or they didn't get the vaccine or they some, you know, other combination. And they just don't care at this point. They've moved on with their life. They've long since moved on with their life. Okay. But the big takeaway on this story is that don't expect any of the congressional investigations that will likely come at some point next year. Don't expect those investigations to turn up with anything because Anthony Fauci is a made man. So I'm obviously talking about that in terms of, you know, like, uh, you know, organized crime and different things like that. Mafia, you know, there are made men. These are people that are essentially untouchable because it looks very much so like Anthony Fauci personally benefited financially from a lot of things that were happening in and around the vaccine. Seems pretty apparent. It also seemed like he was benefiting financially uh, around some of the lies he was telling about gain of function research that was happening in China at the Wuhan lab and all these different things. There are a lot of people that we will never know. And this isn't a conspiracy theory rant. There's a lot of people that we don't know that are pulling strings that we don't even know exist that have direct ties to Dr. Anthony Fauci. And there's a lot of money that is traveling through all of those different tunnels. Again, most of which that we don't even know exist. So I have no faith, and I mean no faith at all, that anything is going to happen to this man. Now, here's the thing. I'm not rooting for that. I'm rooting for the truth to come out. And if it's true that he did something nefarious and evil and illegal, I would hope that he would be punished for that because justice is a big deal. But I don't think we're ever going to get there. There are going to be people that love Anthony Fauci. They're going to think he's a hero of the Republic. And then there's going to be people that revile him until the day that he dies. So it just kind of is what it is at this point. All right, last quick hitter of the day. A K-12 school district in my own backyard is hiring or has hired a pro-critical race theory, diversity, equity, and inclusion firm to train its teachers. So the setting for this story is Deer Creek School District in central Oklahoma. So Deer Creek School District is located in parts of Oklahoma and Logan counties in central Oklahoma. Essentially, it's, you know, Oklahoma City. So if I drive basically 10 minutes west from my house. So I'm pointing the direction of this school district. It is 10 minutes west of my house. I'm and I'm basically right in that school district. So this is the second time that I've talked about this specific school district on my show. So if they sound familiar, you go back to episode 243 of this website. It's called nor or of this podcast. Rather, it's called normalizing pedophilia, your kid's classroom and library. And on that one, I'm trying to remember all the details, but basically it was a, I got a, the kindergarten list of books that were in the classroom. And there were some very, very troubling uh, books that were in the kindergarten class of a school that is literally 10 minutes away from my house. So I'm going to read this. This is according to Oklahoma Council of Public Affairs. 
The Deer Creek School District has hired the Oklahoma Center for Community and Justice, the OCCJ, to provide up to 13 workshops whose objectives include a focus on diversity, inclusion, implicit bias, and inclusive leadership. Notably, a blog post on the OCCJ's website touts critical race theory as an important means of learning and education that acknowledges our country's history of colonization and enslavement. The OCCJ blog also appears to tout Marxism. Records show one Deer Creek official involved in the hiring of OCCJ also serves on OCCJ's board. Another Deer Creek official involved in the review process is now running as a Democratic candidate for statewide office. And although Deer Creek signed a contract with OCCJ last December, this would be December of 2021, that indicated the organization would provide 13 workshops. OCCJ has yet to conduct any workshops for the school. So more on that later. Back to the uh, article here. OCCJ was selected by the district's diversity inclusion committee and vetted by me. The Deer Creek administrative team is working with OCCJ leadership and trainers to develop training for teachers specific to the needs of the district, wrote Deer Creek Superintendent Jason Perez. Our as our district continues to diversify, it is our objective to ensure that our teachers are prepared to meet the varied needs of all students. The contract states that participants in these workshops will be taught to identify specific strategies to develop equitable classrooms and will be encouraged to identify their own conscious and unconscious biases. The contract does not define what those terms mean in practice. The OCCJ blog states that several of the organization's programs address critical theories by seeking to interrupt the automatic consciousness that determines what is right or the truth. For example, both young people and adults who partake in OCCJ programs are encouraged to examine their identities, seeking examples of both privilege and lack of privilege. The members of Deer Creek School's Diversity and Inclusion Committee include 11 teachers. Now, I'm actually going to read these people's names because here in a second, whenever I get to a call to action, if you know these people, you're going to want to know this. So the members of Deer Creek School Diversity and Inclusion Committee include 11 teachers. That's Sydney Barton, Bob Boone, Adriana Chavez, Amber Davis, Brandon Kiefer, Rebecca King, Christy Kringlin, Jenna Nelson. Sydney Rashid Zada, Paula Reed, and Holly Sapp. Five Deer Creek administrators also served on the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. That's Chris Culver, Michelle Edson, Mark Phillips, Christy Von Dorn, and Sherry Variable, and did two, as did two members of the Deer Creek School Board at the time. That's Kelly Lay and Andy Nieves. One of the teachers who served on the committee that selected OCCJ, Jenna Nelson, has since filed as a Democratic candidate for state superintendent of public instruction. On February the 12th of 2022, Nelson claimed that CRT is not a part of Oklahoma schools and dismissed concerns that many CRT concepts are now being relabeled as social emotional learning or SEL. No OCJJ or OCCJ materials associated with Deer Creek teacher workshops are currently available, although the contract calls for OCCJ to provide 13 trainings. None have occurred. Okay. So I know that was somewhat lengthy, but I wanted to make sure that you guys got that information. So again, at this point, we don't know if these trainings have been put into place yet. It's being reported that none of these trainings have occurred, but apparently thousands of dollars have gone from the Deer Creek uh, School District to OCCJ in order to do these things. So I know I've got a sizable audience here in Oklahoma, and I know there are people listening to this that have kids in the Deer Creek School District. So if that is you, Deer Creek Public School parents, push back on this before it's too late because there have been school districts. That have been able to sneak things in because parents knew something was coming, but, uh, you know, is this the hill to die on? I don't guess so. Let's just kind of let this one slide. But if you don't like the sound of some of that nonsense, like teachers learning about implicit bias and about their privilege, and if you assume that that's probably going to trickle down to your children, perhaps you should say something. 
Maybe you should demand a meeting with the president of your school and make sure your kid's teacher is there and make sure they know the consequences. And no, I don't mean physical. Make sure they know the consequences if these things actually go down. You should demand a meeting with the superintendent of Deer Creek Public Schools, Jason Perez, to talk about this. Hey, why wasn't uh, the, the, uh, the rest of the parents brought into this conversation about spending literally our tax dollars because we live in this district on this nonsense that we don't want in the classroom and get an explanation? And if you keep doing that, and if you get 10 other parents from your classroom and they all go in individually, first time it's the mom, second time it's the dad, you do it this week and then you do it next week and the week after that, there's going to be enough negative attention on this. They're probably going to pull the contract because again, these people that are doing this are cowards. They're zealots. They're left-wing zealots, but they are cowards at the same time. They're not expecting pushback. And they're, they're expecting a little bit of pushback, but if there's a little pushback, they can just write those people off as bigots and ah, they don't need to worry about it anymore. Okay. But for you, it's a big deal and you should treat it as such. So my big takeaway on this one is Marxist DEI pro CRT zealots are coming for your school next. Wherever you're listening to this, most of my audience is here in the United States. It does not matter what community you live in. This is coming for you. Don't get lulled into this, you know, false sense of security like me when you live in Oklahoma where every county votes red in every single national election. Don't get rocked to sleep, guys. This stuff is happening. It is happening and they will keep doing it until they get significant enough pushback. Or unless you have an unbelievably great governor that is going to make sure to put laws in place that prevent this. But you see these zealots from these organizations they're going to do everything that they can to twist words around in order to serve their agenda. And you see this all the time with critical race theory, because you'll see these people say, no, no, come on. That's crazy. Do you even see the words critical race theory in this booklet? It doesn't say critical race theory. It says this, or it says that they're changing the names of it because they know CRT has a negative ring to it and a negative connotation. So they're talking about social emotional learning. Doesn't that sound good? SEL social emotional learning. Oh, I guess our kids are just going to learn how to interact with each other. What could possibly go wrong? Until you look at the content, it's like, whoa, never mind. This is incredibly nefarious. I don't like it. But they're going to continue to do this. So even if you have a dutiful governor that is putting great laws in place to prevent these things from happening in the classroom, these zealots have to continue to get their worldview into the brains of your children. So you have to be paying attention if you will have your kids in public school. Now, as I say all the time, I think that there are two options, vetted private Christian school or homeschool, because your first uh, dedication and focus should be on your family, not the greater community and, you know, not, you know, the schools that they go to and the, the, the sports they might play and all those different things. It is to the overall development of your little people into big people. And again, you can't just depend on them having a cross you know, on the wall in the lobby and say, oh, that's fine. You have to make sure you vet these Christian schools. You need to walk into these Christian schools before you go there. And believe me, I'm going to be doing this very, very soon where you walk in and you talk to teachers and administrators and principals and you say, okay, a uh, little boy walks in and says he's a girl. How do you handle that? Okay. A kid comes in and says, hey, uh, he thinks he's homosexual or bisexual. How do you handle that? Hey, uh, a kid comes in and says he wants to acknowledge his white privilege in front of the entire class during show and tell. What do you do? See what they say and make sure you're recording it. But again, guys, this is something that is a major issue that we all need to be worried about and you can't be asleep at the wheel. 
Again, COVID woke a whole bunch of people up, woke a whole bunch of people with their kids in public school up to the nonsense that they're being taught. They're not focused on math, reading, writing, history. They're focused on a worldview, and they need to crank out as many of these kids thinking this worldview as possible. Then they're going to send them to you know, higher education where they basically stamp at home. And then who knows? At that point, what's going to happen to the country when these people have literally been marinated in this Marxist demonic ideology for multiple decades? It's going to be hard to overcome. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. Add on Daunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So again, guys, go to the Origin website so you can check out their full line of Origin and Jocko Fuel products. When you go there, make sure you use the promo code Kyle to get 10% off your order. That's just my name, K-Y-L-E, to get 10% off your order. In the links today, I've got the 100 books every modern Christian man should read list. I've also got the sign up for my September 18th speech at Faith Bible Church in Edmond if you're bringing your kids. And then I've got links to all the stuff I talked about in the quick hitters. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. We're if you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.